Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to WWCR International Shortwave Radio. You can find true news on frequency 12.160 from 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern and on frequency 4.840 from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Eastern. Connect with us on Rumble, Facebook, X, and Getter. Nothing but the truth, so help us God. I'm Rick Wiles. Today's Wednesday, November 15, 2023. Israeli Defense Forces soldiers brazenly launched a military assault last night on the Al-Shifa Hospital in Gaza. Many people around the world who monitored the IDF activities were stunned by the video images that emerged from the besieged medical facility. It was heartbreaking to watch it happen in real time. Today, some world leaders are denouncing Israel as a terrorist state and its political and military leaders as war criminals. Doc Burkhardt and I will wade through the shocking videos and developments that have occurred since last night in Palestine, try to make sense of it, talk about possible ramifications for the Zionist state of Israel and the Palestinian people. Um, Doc, I I was uh, in my home last night uh, finishing dinner, and it was uh, later in the evening, and I I was on Twitter, and I, I... I've been monitoring various uh, uh, Arabic uh, Twitter accounts, trying to get uh, a, a better feel, you know, handle on what's taking place because you don't get it with the American news media. And I started seeing these uh, tweets saying, uh, "The a doctor just said the IDF warned the hospital." that a military assault would begin within minutes. And I thought, this can't be real. This is... But inside, I mean, I knew they were going to do it. Sure. But it just seemed so surreal that a an army would launch an attack on a hospital that they know is full of children, women, elderly people, thousands of displaced homeless people an estimate 7,000 people were living in the hospital because their homes had been blown up Right. and then you see the images of the people on the stretchers on the hospital beds little children with the bandages wrapped around them Uh, and you think these people, these patients 
are going to be in the middle of a military assault on a hospital? In a firefight. A firefight? I was like, this can't be happening. And so I, I monitored the developments for several hours until I got to the point where emotionally I couldn't take any more of it. I was just like, this is just, I don't know what to do. I got up and I began walking around my home praying, praying for the children, praying for the people, uh, asking God, how do we pray? Yes. And maybe you and I need to have that conversation here today. I was asking, Father, how do we pray? What, what is the Christian prayer in this horrible situation? Because I know what I wanted to pray, but I needed to know, how should I pray? So let's go through, and, I, and I'm just going to tell you folks, uh, some of the stuff is going to be uh, very difficult to look at. Uh, we have um, eliminated the worst there, there are images that you don't want to see, but we're going to show you enough that you get a, a realistic understanding of what the Israeli Zionists did to a hospital last night. Any other day, any other country, a military attack on a hospital would be resoundingly denounced throughout the world today, and there would be cries for the leaders of that country to be arrested. Right. Let's say, for instance, there was an attack on an Israeli hospital. Would there be outcries from course, the international community? Of course, the United States would be going to war. We, we would go to war over an attack on an Israeli hospital. If anybody did to an Israeli hospital what the Israelis did to a Palestinian hospital last night, the United States would go to war. Yes. So... Um, We'll start with number one. This is uh, uh, Al Arabia uh, news. Israel raids Gaza's Al Shifa hospital. Now, Hamas said that the United States gave the IDF the green light, and what they're referring to is that Pentagon spokesman John Kirby gave a press conference yesterday in which he said the U.S. intelligence has informed President Biden that Hamas does have a operation underneath the hospital, in, in tunnels beneath the hospital. And so John Kirby gave that press conference uh, saying that U.S. intelligence has confirmed the allegations made by Israel. And so Hamas said last night, the United States government gave Israel, thumbs up, green light, go, do it. That's all we're going to say. That's your green light. That's your permission to attack a hospital. So where did the U.S. get that intelligence? Well, from Israel. Right. And <laughs> you see the circle that goes on there. Well, it's like, it, it, where did the FBI get the uh, uh, evidence that Donald Trump had committed crimes? From the people that were framing Donald Trump. Right. And they all know that it's fake evidence. They all know it, okay? But that's the way the game is played. But we're going to talk about what's underneath the, the hospital. We'll talk about that later. Um, 
And, and we can have the, the conversation, what if all of the allegations are true? Right. What do you do? So these are all questions that need to be asked. So we're going to show you, um, I think this first video is uh, when, here you go, look, look at this. This was a, a doctor or nurse, somebody with a phone. This is, one, this is the first video I saw last night. There's a little boy on the right. This one, uh, when I saw him right there, uh, I lost it last night when I saw him. I lost it, Doc. I, I'm, I'm thinking, can you imagine you're injured? You're seriously injured. You're in a hospital. And there's going to be a military firefight in the hallways of the hospital. And on separate floors in this video right now that you can hear gunfire. Yes. So uh, it's just there's so much noise in the video we couldn't isolate it or anything. So, yeah, so when you yeah, when you watch it with the audio, you hear the gunfire. Uh, so that was the scene last night in the hospital as the Israelis prepared to storm the hospital. They had they had surrounded the hospital for days. Israeli snipers were positioned on buildings outside the hospital shooting. Anybody who left the hospital. Yes. Folks, do you understand what we're saying? Parents, children, doctors, anybody who dared to leave the hospital were shot by Israeli snipers. They don't care. They don't care about the age of the victim. They don't care. They shoot anybody. And so people were trapped in the hospital. And if you had a wounded family member and attempted to take your child to the hospital, they shot you and your child. I'm talking about the Israeli snipers. They shot people trying to get their injured family members into the hospital. Right. These are war crimes. And the Jews should not be permitted to get away with it. They need to be held accountable by the civilized world community. So that was the first image I saw just before the raid started. This was uh, that came out uh, shortly after a a Palestinian doctor uh, somehow got a message out and said he had been warned by the IDF, we're getting ready to come in. Yes. We're telling you in advance, we're coming in tonight. How humane, how courteous of them. Isn't that very polite of them? We're coming in to kill some folks in your hospital. Yes, uh, but, we, but we did the proper thing. We told you that we're coming in, so don't resist. Uh, the, the next one is, uh, uh, as Israeli troops uh, start the attack, uh, you will see... Uh, Look at this. Look at this. Look at the child. Yes. And so this is just as the IDF starts to move into the hospital. You see people still trying to get people in the hospital. Um, And you're going to see scenes here in just a moment where people are taking cover uh, after shots start getting fired and everything. And so... um, and now here, here's the chaos in the hospital. This is when the people in the hospital first heard the gunfire. Let's uh, let's bring the audio up on this. Oh, can you? 
imagine? Um, let's say your grandmother is. Uh, there's this is the outside of the hospital. This is the parking lot of the hospital. I'm not going to be quiet about it. I don't care who gets upset with me. I don't care. Can you imagine your your elderly grandmother is in the hospital and that chaos breaks out and you have to decide whether to run with the crowd and leave your grandmother alone or stay and be shot? What a choice that is. Okay, think this through, folks. Think it through. You think about your local hospital and a military attack begins on the hospital and your beloved grandmother is there and you're standing by her bed and you hear gunfire and everybody is running down the hallway and your grandmother says you run too and you're saying no I'm not going to leave you and she's saying go 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 you're going to die this is what happened to the Palestinian people last night you know they're humans a lot of Americans have trouble believing that the Palestinians are humans. Because your minds are indoctrinated with Jewish propaganda. Yes. You have been told for decades that the Palestinian people are not human. They don't have feelings. They don't have thoughts like you. They don't live like you. They're, they're born terrorists. They're just born and, and they live like animals. That's the Jewish propaganda in America. It's, it saturates the minds of the people, including the, the so-called Christian Zionists. And they're not Christian, they're just Zionists. And you've got these pulpit propagandists who fill the minds of their congregation with Zionist propaganda and dehumanize the Palestinian people. And many of those Palestinians are Christians. And if they are Christians, they are direct descendants of the first disciples of Jesus Christ. Right. Where do you think Jesus preached? It was Palestine. Do you know there was no Israel when Jesus walked the earth? That's right. Listen to what I just said. There was no Israel when Jesus walked the earth. There was Palestine. You know why? Because Israel had ended centuries before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Jesus was born as a Palestinian Jew. Jew by race, Palestinian by geography. Right. That escapes a lot of Christians. He was born in Palestine. If you would have asked him, where are you from? He would have said, Palestine. There was no Israel. It had ended. The Davidic kingdom had ended centuries before Jesus was born. The whole issue with the Jews at that time was... If you're the Messiah, are you going to restart the kingdom? Right. Are you bringing Israel back? Are we going to reclaim the land? Are we going to chase out the Romans? Are we going to get control? That was the issue. Are we going to regain control of Palestine? This is the reason that Judas betrayed Jesus. Yes. Judas was a Zionist zealot. And when he realized that Jesus would not lead a violent revolution to overthrow Rome and restore Palestine to the Jews, he betrayed Jesus Christ 
to the Jewish rulers. That's the reason for the betrayal. That Jesus would not lead a violent revolution. So, the Palestinian Christians are the descendants of the first disciples of Jesus as he moved throughout Palestine and preached the gospel. That's why I defend them. But I defend Muslims too because they're humans. And a Muslim child should not be shot by an Israeli soldier any more than a Christian child should be shot. Right. We're talking about humanity. And the Jews are showing us how insane they are. How violent they are. And their behavior in Palestine should repulse every decent Jew in the world. Jews should, but Jews are being told with guilt. <laughs> the Zionists are putting guilt on the Jewish people. Saying, if you don't support us in killing the Palestinian babies, you're not a real Jew. A real Jew would kill Palestinians. That's the guilt. But there are Jews speaking up. And there are Jews who are throwing up. Saying, I can't be part of this. We've got some more videos to show you. Yeah, the next video that we're going to show you, we're just going to warn our audience right now. This is some very graphic content. But sometimes you need to see graphic content in order to shock you. That's this morning. Yes. A Baptist hospital. These are corpses of Palestinian children being piled together. At a Baptist hospital. Yes. The last time I checked, Baptist is Christian. Right? Yes. So, a Baptist, Baptist churches built this hospital, and everybody in Gaza knows it's the Christian Baptist hospital. Right. The people took their dead children to the, hospi to the hospital garden today. This is this morning in Palestine, in Gaza. Would you like to start your morning like this, walking past a mound of dead children that was morning morning in Gaza thanks to the Zionists yes. who murdered children while you enjoyed your life yesterday Zionists killed Palestinian children I can't ignore it I won't ignore it I've been warning people for years the dangers of Zionism it's now in your face it's worse than what anybody has ever said about Zionists. It's worse, Doc. This is worse than anything Tex Mars ever worried about. Oh, wow. That, and that's saying something there. <laughs> if Tex Mars were here today, what would Tex be saying? He'd be shocked. He'd be shocked by this. Yes. Or, or Pete Peters. Anybody. Yes. Anybody who is warned about Zionism would be shocked by what they are doing today in Palestine. It is beyond comprehension. The masks have come off. The real face of the Zionists is visible to everyone. And there's a lot of world leaders who are starting to get queasy. Yes. They're having a death. The only place where there's rock-solid support for Israel is the United States of America. Because the USA is Israeli-occupied territory. They don't have tanks here. They captured the minds of the American people. You don't need tanks when you own their minds. Right. 
the, the Palestinians have tanks and guns used against them because they refuse to surrender their minds. Think this through, Doc. Yes. The Palestinians resist. They refuse to give up their minds. Their land has been taken. Their futures have been taken. Their freedoms. Their freedom have taken. But the Jews can't get their minds. And so the Jews use guns and tanks against them. In America, they don't, the Jews don't have to use guns and tanks because the American people surrendered their minds. Wow. In their brains, they ran up a white flag of surrender and said, we give up, you take over America, we'll do whatever you say, strip away our Christian heritage, take down the crosses, remove the Bibles, change the gospel, pollute the land with your obscenities and your pornography and every all of your other vile sexual perversion. Go ahead and do it. We surrender to you. Kill the see here in, in, in Palestine they shoot the Palestinian babies in America they 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 chop them up before they're born before they're born but it's the same people yes making human sacrifice to Lucifer how's this for the start of the show well once Zionists uh, Militarily attack a hospital. What do you do after you attack a place? What's the after you conquered a place? What do you do? Well, you generally plant your flag there. Would they plant a flag on a hospital? Would they? Well, let's, let's look. This is what they did this morning in, at the Al Shafa Hospital. There you see it. Israeli soldiers carrying the so-called Star of David. It's not the Star of David. It's a it's an occult hexagram. Yes. Inspired by Kabbalah. And they plant the Kabbalah flag on the roof of the hospital that they attacked during the night. Am I describing it accurately? You've got it. They planted a Kabbalah hexagram occult flag on the roof of a hospital that they attacked during the night. What that flag said is Kabbalahism rules over this hospital. You got it, yes. Kabbalah has conquered this hospital. The devil is in control of this hospital. That's what it means. I'll show you another one. Uh, I don't know which town or where we're at in Gaza. This is a video of Palestinian medical crews pulling a little child out of the rubble of her home. This is what it's like every day when the Jews want you to move. They'll make your life miserable. They'll bomb your house. They'll bury your children beneath the house until you surrender and leave because they want your land. There's the little child coming up out of the rubble. If that was your little child, how would you feel about the Zionists? Would you stand with Israel? Would you say, God commands, commands me to bless Israel? 
If I criticize what they did to that child, God will curse me. That's their reasoning. That's their logic. Yes. If you listen to John Hagee, John Hagee would say, well, if you criticize Israel bombing that home and burying that child beneath rubble, God's going to curse you. You are commanded to stand with Israel. Oh, BS. The Bible doesn't say any such thing as that. God blessed Abraham, and he is the father of our faith, and I am an heir to the promise of Abraham. That's right. The Christ-hating Zionists are not heirs to the promise of Abraham. That's right. They are outside the covenant. There's a new covenant written in the blood of Jesus Christ whom they hate. That new covenant makes me an heir to the promise of Abraham. If you curse me, God's going to curse you. That's right. Think about that. You bless me, God's going to bless you. If you are if you are a disciple of Christ, anybody who curses you will be cursed by God. Because you are an heir to the promise of Abraham. And my question is to uh, people out there, is it okay to bless somebody who's cursed? Is it okay to bless somebody who's cursed? Because no. Deuter- Deuteronomy, no, 28, Deuteronomy 28 says that, you know, in, in the second half of uh, Deuteronomy where the curses are listed upon the children of Abraham because of their disobedience to God's commandments, that they would be under a curse forever, it says. It says the word forever, that they would be under a curse forever mm-hmm. if they disobeyed the commands of God. The word forever. It's not a forever promise in the land. Right now, it's a forever promise of a curse. Yes. And how can you bless somebody who's under a curse? You can't. If you do it, you're bringing the curse upon you. Right. So tell us, tell me, tell us how America has been blessed by blessing Israel. We haven't. We've been cursed. Look at our country. Yes. Look at the at the deplorable condition this country is in. You're telling me that we're blessed? I don't want any of this blessing. I want to get back to where we were at 50 years ago. We were a much better country. The more we stand with Israel, the more wicked we become. There's a direct parallel between America's connection to Israel and our own decline and wickedness. Yes. There is a direct parallel. Like, I don't know. Um, we didn't do number eight yet. What is this one? I don't know. Is this one rough? It's the video of the little baby with blood. Oh. Yes. Yeah, here's another. And we want to dedicate this to Rabbi John Hagee. Uh, Rabbi Hagee, this little infant's blood is on your filthy hands. You own her blood. You're going to pay for it someday, Hagee. Because uh, John Hagee is nothing but a pulpit prostitute, a religious whore, who is owned by the Zionists. I have to wonder if John Hagee secretly converted to Judaism. Well, I've seen him wear a beanie and a shawl in church services, so well, I suspect. Has. I suspect, Doc, that when he passes away, he'll be buried in Israel. 
this what, on the Mount of Olives? Right, yes. Right down the road from yes. Robert Maxwell? Yes. And Herzl. I really do. I, I, I believe... Uh, I believe that they will reward Hagee with a burial spot on the Mount of Olives. Well, these images coming out of Gaza have now pushed people who were formerly supporting Israel. They're saying, hey, uh, these images that are coming out, we, we either have to stop this going on or stop the images coming out, one of the two. Um, it's too much for even people like Trudeau. Right. I mean, when Justin Trudeau is agreeing with Rick Wiles, things have gotten really far out. I'm not agreeing with Justin Trudeau. Justin Trudeau is agreeing with me. Right. <laughs> it, it took him until today to say, I can't support this anymore. This is a report from um, Al Jazeera. Hospitals are not battlegrounds. World reacts to Israel's al-Shafa raid. So world leaders and international aid organizations have strongly criticized Israel's assault on the al-Shafa hospital. Now, just a reminder, that is the largest medical facility in the Gaza Strip. It was. Yes. Uh, after a week of incursions across Gaza in what some are calling a war on hospitals, governments, United Nations agencies, and other aid organizations expressed their distress on Wednesday as Israel's military raided al-Shafa in which thousands of patients, staff, and displaced people are trapped, Voices were raised against Israel's decision to directly target a facility that should be a safe haven under the rules of war. Okay, do you realize what's happened this week is attacking, militarily attacking a hospital and killing patients is now the new norm. It's acceptable now. It's now acceptable thanks to the Zionists. They've changed what is considered the rules of war. And so they've conditioned the world to accept attacking hospitals. If the Jews want to attack a hospital. Yes. It's, everything's by their rules. Right. Can Russians attack a hospital in Ukraine? Well, no, no. We can show you videos of uh, Biden and other people attacking the Russians, uh, denouncing them for their bombing campaign of Ukraine. And, and look, if, if Russia attacked a hospital, they ought to be condemned. Right. I agree. Anybody that attacks a hospital ought to be condemned. But but now this is out in the open. And again, just two or three weeks ago, when the first hospital, remember the rocket attack? Yes. And Israel denied that they attacked the hospital and they blamed it on Hamas. They said yes, Hamas sir. blew it up themselves. Just like the Russians blew up the Nord Stream pipeline. Right. You know, their own pipeline. So that was just two or three weeks ago. And if you said that the, that the Israelis flew that missile into the hospital, you were a supporter of terrorism. You were, you were to be denounced. You were to be ostracized. How dare you accuse the Israelis of attacking a hospital? How dare you do it? That was only two or three weeks ago. Now, now it's, people are applauding the Israelis. Look at them. They're courageous. They're going into a hospital. It takes a lot of, of man, guys have got to be really tough and brave to invade a hospital. <laughs> they're they're going to get medals. They're going to they're have a parade someday for these guys. They invaded a hospital. Who knows how many of those children in there had grenades 
under their pillows. I mean, these, these Israeli soldiers put their lives on the line to raid a hospital. That's the new norm today. And all over the West, particularly the United States, the news media is talking about this heroic, brave raid on the hospital last night. BBC had to apologize. They briefly condemned it. Yes. And, and then, then they, they walk it back. Somebody called the BBC, somebody with more power than the chief of the BBC, somebody called, and they retracted their criticism of Israel. Hey, remember who funds you? Well, who has that power in Great Britain? Was it King Charles? Or did somebody tell him? Think about how much power you have to have to... Order the BBC to change its reporting. Would that be a Rothschild? Who has that kind of power? More power than the BBC has globally. Why don't you, you call the BBC headquarters today, Doc, and demand that they change their reporting and see how long they stay on the phone with you? Right. Now, somebody had a lot of power. Um. Hey, I'm going to. Uh, I want to take a break, uh, gather my thoughts, and then we'll come back. I want to tell you some of the uh, reactions uh, that world leaders have had about what happened last night, and I want to tell you where I think this is going. I, I might be wrong on it, but I, I really think that there is a sea change taking place, and we, you, and I, are witnessing something that none of us thought would happen in our lifetime. And that is the possible demise of the state of Israel. How quickly things have changed. They are their own worst enemies. They've taken their mask off and now they have shocked the world. But I want you to uh, watch this announcement from our uh, co-sponsor, American Reserves, and we'll be back in one minute. The disciples asked Jesus about the end of the age. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you aren't troubled. For all this must happen, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, plagues, and earthquakes in many places. I'm Dr. Robert A. Shure, and I'm on a mission to encourage Christian families to prepare for tough times. That's why I'm endorsing American Reserves. American Reserves can help you build a food storehouse like Joseph in Egypt. American Reserves offers emergency food packages for a month or full year. Buckets of freeze-dried beef and chicken, assorted vegetables and fruits, and powdered eggs are ready for quick delivery. A panic can cause store shelves to be emptied in hours. Be wise. Be ready. Order food at AmericanReserves.com. Hey, so we have here one of the buckets. This is, uh, there we go, a good wide shot there. And this, what do we have here? This is the meat and sides emergency food bucket. Uh, freeze-dried meat and poultry uh, with beans and rice. So this is what you're getting when you get one of the side buckets. Um, I'm going to look in myself, Doc, see what we have here. Um, so we start... Uh, 
But these these are cooking instructions. So right. you you need that for tomorrow. I'll tell you why. All right. So Uh-oh. we'll get these out. Uh, okay. So here's a packet. Uh, this is a savory roasted ground beef in one of these packets right here. Okay. okay. Let's see what else we got in here. This one. Um, what do we have? Oh, this is rice. Long-term rice in, in this packet right here. Keep reaching in, see what I have. Okay, I have feeling this is uh, wow. Some of the writing is pretty light here. Uh, I've, uh, these are beans. Yeah, yeah. These are kidney beans. Okay, okay. My eyes are not seeing this very well. Uh, so we'll just keep reaching in and see what we have. Uh, stroganoff beef. Here's a packet of stroganoff. There's a lot in here. I mean, we could be here for quite some time just emptying this uh, this bucket. Uh, this is more uh, black beans. So you get an idea. And there's chicken in here. Um, there's supposed to be some chocolate pudding in there. No, there's no chocolate pudding. There's Southwest-style chicken, roasted chicken, stroganoff beef, teriyaki chicken, and cheesy ground beef, plus a variety of beans and rice. Okay? So, Doc, right. your assignment is to take this bucket to your office. Right. And tomorrow... What are we having? Right? I want you to make make us some lunch tomorrow. Okay? okay? All right. You bring the lunch out. We don't have a kitchen here, so it's not like we can cook this right here. Yes. You're, I'll let you... We've got some kitchen equipment behind us, behind this wall, okay? I'll let you make some lunch for us tomorrow out of these ingredients, okay? And we'll taste it here for the first time in in real time, and we'll see what it tastes like, all right? I'm sure it'll taste great, because I've already had but, a taste. Have so. you? But I'll tell you this. If all the grocery stores were empty... And locked up and boarded up with with plywood on the windows. Think about it, folks. Plywood on the windows of the grocery stores. Right. Padlocks on the doors. Because there's nothing left inside. Maybe even an armed guard out front. Right. In a military uniform. Yes. I wouldn't care what this stuff tastes like. Now, I, I know it's good. But if there is no food, I'm not going to care what this tastes like. Right. You got to get. <laughs> Americans just can't stop thinking like Americans. You 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 got to start thinking like a Gazan. Why do you think I'm showing you this stuff? Better be prepared. You know. Uh, a pastor in Africa today, Doc. I, I, uh, I didn't. I should have. I should have kept the uh, photograph. This was on. This was on uh, Twitter, and he put this on one of my tweets. You know the the photograph. I said, "Here's here's this is morning in in Gaza with the pile of babies." Mm-hmm. He sent a video, and he said, "This is morning in my country," and. Children were picking up. I, I didn't know what they were doing. There was mud all over the street. The street had inches of mud. 
and the children were picking up things in the mud. I thought, what is what is this? Where this is you know where this is going? Yeah. The flood had washed nuts down the street, and he said, "Our country has a famine, and these children are finding nuts to eat." See, this is really going on today in other countries. And we in America, we can't comprehend it because we have so much. We have so much wealth, so much food, so much luxury. We can't imagine going out and looking for nuts to eat. Sending your children out in a flood zone and saying, see if you can find some food to eat today. Right. How about children going to the local dump to find food? I've seen that. I've seen dog. that. I have to. I have to. In Africa, I've seen it. I've seen that in the Philippines. I, I've, I've watched. I was in Hamara Hamar slum in Nairobi, and um, it, it's just—it's impossible for me to describe the slum. It's the second largest slum in Nairobi. A couple hundred thousand people living in it. Everything, every building is plywood and tin. That's all it is, just plywood and tin. And uh, every little street, what you call a street, there are mounds running all the way down the street. Okay, big tall mounds of garbage. And there is liquid running down the street, and it's not water. And the smell. The smell is unbelievable. And you see the children in the mounds of garbage digging through it looking for food. Yes. It's every day. I've seen it with my own eyes. That's every day. That's, it's not like, oh, it happened for a week or two. No, it's every day. You don't think in America... That we couldn't have a situation where there's no food in America, then you are, you are, you've deceived yourself. You have deceived yourself. You've had good times in this country so long that you don't think it's possible to not have food. Right. Okay. I told you about my grandparents. Uh, they were born in the 1890s. They went through the Spanish flu. They went through World War One. <coughs> The Great Depression, World War II, uh, Korean War, Vietnam War, everything else in between. And they had a basement full of food and they had two root cellars, old time root cellars in the ground. In the one root cellar, there were hams and all kinds of pork and meat that had been salted. And the other root cellar were vegetables and, and apples and various f- food, the potatoes that they kept there in the cool uh, temperature. As a child, I remember going into those root cellars to get food for my grandmother. She'd send me, right. hey, go get, go get a slab of bacon or, or go get a, a basket of apples for me. Or go down into the basement and get me some uh, cans of green beans and some peaches. I remember doing that. Right. Why did they have so much food? Because they lived through the Spanish flu pandemic. They lived through World War One, World War Two, the Korean War, the Great Depression. They lived through it. They weren't preppers. They were just 
People. People. <laughs> and they said, you know, we've been through some hard times. And we never know if there's going to be food tomorrow. And it's a wise thing to have food. Go in homes today and see how much food is in the pantries. How many days can a typical American family go with what they have in their house? A week? If they're lucky. Most people don't have very much food. Right. It's wise to have the food. American Reserves. World War III is on. I know some of you are having trouble believing this is World War III. You're waiting for World War III to start. It's on. It's on. World War II started in the 30s. America didn't get into it until late 41. But it started in 30, I think 39. Two or three years before Pearl Harbor. So the American people didn't wake up to World War II until the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. Right. But but if you lived in other countries, you were in World War II. So the American people are waiting on a Pearl Harbor. I'm not going to believe it's World War III until we have a Pearl Harbor. That's what they're waiting on. That's right. That's what they're. That's the normalcy bias. It can't happen here. I'm waiting on something big to happen. Then I'm going to go into action and I'm going to store food. Well, God said, observe the ants. Pay attention to the ants. They don't have a ruler. They don't have a master. But they store. They store food. Aren't you smarter than an ant? You answer the question. Are you smarter than an ant? An ant has enough sense to store food. AmericanReserves.com Do what you can do. Do what you can do. Hey, on Miracle Money, I didn't tell you this. I got some Miracle Money coming to me. I got a letter from a lawyer yesterday. It said they have $2,200 in unclaimed money that belongs to me. Really? Uh, I'm like... I showed it to, I showed it to one of our people here, and I said, "Is this for real?" It looks like real to me. So they checked out the law firm. It's a real law firm, and it said, "This uh, entity's been trying to find you. You owe twenty. They owe you twenty two hundred dollars." And a hard bring, time finding you. Huh? Yeah. So bring it to me. All right. <laughs> it's the miracle money. I asked the Lord for miracle money. He gave me miracle money. Praise God. Why don't you ask God for miracle money? Do you not ask because you don't believe? Or do you not ask because you don't want to share it? Oh, that'll preach. Which one is it? You, You have unbelief or you have greed? Which one is it? Your father wants to give you miracle money. And a lot of you haven't asked him for it. Because you don't believe it. You don't believe it? That's unbelief. Or you do believe it, and you don't want to share it with us because that's greed. Then there are others who just say, I believe and I want to give. And you're, right. you're reaping the benefit of miracle money. It's coming to people because we're getting the checks, the donations that are coming in. I had one farmer, what is he, what state? Was he in Canada? He said that... Doc, he said, this is the best 
year he's ever had in his life in farming. And he sent a very generous check to True News. He said, I've never, he said, I'm having a miracle harvest. Well, a miracle. He said he his harvest this year was the highest of his lifetime. And I think he's about my age. He said the highest of his lifetime. Oh. And he sent a generous gift to True News because God had blessed him so much. See, that's, he, that's the kind of testimony that we need yeah, to hear. That's right. You can have the same blessing. You have to believe and you have to be generous. I want to get back to uh, what the devil is doing. Okay, so um, I'm going to show you this number 10. This is a a tweet that was put out today by the uh, United Nations Relief Chief. I'm appalled by reports of military raids in Al-Shiva Hospital in Gaza. The protection of newborns, patients, medical staff, and all civilians must override all other concerns. Let's look at this talk. Hospitals are not battlegrounds. Well, they are now. Yes. Because the Jews say it's all right to attack hospitals. That's the new norm. And you have to accept it. And there are already calls for this man to to be fired. I believe it. Because he dared to speak out against the Zionists. In Turkey, President Erdogan today called... Israel, a terrorist state. Remember, Turkey is a member of NATO. NATO with nukes on their soil. So, so uh, President Erdogan has denounced Israel as a terrorist state due to its actions in Gaza, accusing it of committing genocide against the Palestinian people. President Erdogan pointed to Israel's deliberate targeting of hospitals and schools, claiming that the country is engaged in state terrorism. He said, quote, I say with a clear conscience that Israel is a terrorist state. Uh, he said that uh, earlier today on Wednesday, Israel will be globally condemned. That if the offenses continue, it will be condemned as a terrorist state. Now, the uh, president also accused Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu of being a non-human who has lost everything in the name of morality and conscience, and directly addressed him questioning whether Israel possesses atomic bombs. Now, normally this isn't a discussion that any of leaders in the Middle East have. You know why? And and again, here we have President Erdogan agreeing with me. See, obviously Erdogan has looked in the eyes of of Netanyahu, like I did at Davos. And I said, that guy has shark eyes. There's, there's nothing in there. there. There's no soul. Right. I, You know, that was my report. And I had people who got very angry at me for saying that about Netanyahu. Right. But now Erdogan says he's non-human. Right. And? Well, maybe he is non-human. Yeah, Have you considered that possibility? That he is non-human. He may be Nephilim, for all we know. Well, uh, President Erdogan went on to directly challenge uh, Netanyahu regarding atomic weapons. Do you have an atomic bomb or not? Explain if you dare, but he can't, Erdogan said. Israel, you have an atomic bomb and you threaten with it. Your death is coming. No matter how many nuclear bombs you have, you are a goner no matter what you have. Now, remember, he's a member of NATO. Imagine if France said this. I mean, this is a big deal. And really, it's the first time that a leader in the Middle East has directly acknowledged 
that Israel has nuclear weapons. Do you know why they're doing it now, Doc? We had this conversation the other day. Arab leaders are privately meeting and talking and saying, my God, if we stop them from killing the children, they're going to nuke us. Right. And guess who's visiting Turkey today and visiting President Erdogan today? The Iranian foreign minister. The Iranian foreign minister. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a lot of bad blood between Turkey and and Iran. Mm -hmm. A lot of bad blood. But now you have, and it says that he he was given the red carpet treatment. Mm -hmm. He was welcomed uh, into uh, Istanbul. But, Doug, I read an article in uh, in, an Arab television news site today. I had it translated into English, and it said that Iran told Hamas that it would not intervene in the war. That that was not in an Israeli newspaper. It was in an Arab newspaper, television uh, website. So if that's the case, the, the Palestinians are not going to get support from Iran. You know why? Because Iran knows Israel has nukes and they're going to use them on them. Right. And they're not ready to die. They're thinking this through. Do we want to die now for Gaza? It's what everybody's thinking about. The Zionists have weapons of mass destruction. And And that's a fact. That's not made up. If they're willing to kill children in hospitals, they'll use their weapons of mass destruction on entire nations. See, the beast is here. This is the satanic Luciferian beast. And we're looking at it in its face. The Bible tells us in the revelation of Jesus Christ that Jerusalem is the great harlot city. It's right there in black and white. You can't deny it. I've been told for decades, oh, it's Rome. It's the Roman Catholic Church. It's the Vatican. No, the Bible says it's Jerusalem. The city that killed our Lord. It's really plain. Uh, the next one is Trudeau. Oh, this is Canada's Trudeau. Israel must stop killing women, children, and babies. The other day it was Emmanuel Macron in France. Now it's Trudeau. Even a little weasel like Trudeau is sickened to his stomach by the killing of babies. Castro's love child is yes, sick. He can't handle it. See, the price for standing with Israel is is going up every day, the price tag. Right. And and you've got people now who are saying, I, I can't pay the price. Right. I can't do this. You're, I, you're I, tired of swallowing vomit. Yes. So when, when we reach the point that a Trudeau says, I can't stand with Israel anymore, I'll tell you what's coming. Well, let's, we've got a video. Let's, let's watch this, and then we'll talk about it. The human tragedy that is unfolding in Gaza is heart-wrenching, especially the suffering we see in and around the Al-Shifa hospital. I have been clear that the price of justice cannot be the continued suffering of all Palestinian civilians. Even wars have rules. All innocent life is equal in worth, Israeli and Palestinian. I urge the government of Israel to exercise maximum restraint. The world is watching. 
on TV, on social media. We're hearing the testimonies of doctors, family members, survivors, kids who've lost their parents. The world is witnessing this. The killing of women and children, of babies. This has to stop. I'm, I'm gratified that Prime Minister Trudeau finally said something right. And he's joined Emmanuel Macron in France saying, you know, Bibi, I, I would feel better if you just wouldn't kill so many babies. This is really making me uncomfortable that I, I can't stand with Israel anymore because you, you've, just, you've killed so many babies that it's all over the Internet. They're piling up the baby bodies. And it's, it's just becoming uncomfortable to stand with Israel. Now, John Hagee, Hagee would climb up on a mountain of baby bodies and beat his chest like a demon-possessed Tarzan. Doesn't bother him at all. He's quite proud of it. But others, others are, are having trouble with it. And Doc, where I think this is going, when this war is over... Well, one of three things, one of three things is going to happen. Either the Zionist state of Israel is going to be drastically curtailed by the world community, where they enforce the 1948 rules right. on the creation of the Zionist state, which forces them to leave Palestine, West Bank, Gaza, Right. and return all the land to the Palestinians and they go back to the small area that the UN granted and I, I don't even agree with that right. All right, but that would be one possibility the other possibility is the world community decides we just have to dissolve the state of Israel that's the more radical step they have to be transplanted back in Europe in a reconstituted Kazaria reformed Kazaria revived a revived Kazarian Empire as they like to talk about a revived Roman Empire you know dispensationalist but Kazaria is Ukraine yes and Ukraine needs to be rebuilt. rebuilt so why not put the masters of destruction into Ukraine and let them rebuild Kazaria. And they're already throwing that out there. Let yes. uh, Ukraine be the new Korea. Yes. Uh, you see uh, things like that. Oh, they're already got the plan in place. Now, the third option, Doc, is somehow the Zionists get the upper hand and they tell the world community what they can do with their outrage. And the Zionists take control of the planet. And with the cooperation of the United States, that could be very doable. And NATO. So if NATO brings Israel in as a full member, which is a possibility, uh, the, you could see the beast system rise up and take control of the planet. Then, well, not the beast doesn't, the, the Antichrist does not rule the whole planet. There's war. There's warfare against the Antichrist. Right. Nations will fight him. But they're going to be fighting, if, it's, if it is the Zionists, they're going to be fighting the West. 
That's the way this thing is playing out. I don't know which way it's going. I hope the world dismantles the Zionist empire. I hope. Because wherever they go, there's going to be more bloodshed, there's going to be more trouble, there's going to be turbulence and fighting. I hope they're dismantled. But for the sake of humanity, for the sake of babies, Zionism needs to be dissolved. Just like Nazism. Any ism needs to be put out of its misery because it troubles the whole world. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll have today's morning manna lesson. Don't go away. You're watching True News. You're listening to WWCR International Shortwave Radio. You can find True News on frequency 12.160 from 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern and on frequency 4.840 from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Eastern. Connect with us on Rumble, Facebook, X, and Getter. Okay, welcome back to part two True News. And uh, we have Morning Manna coming up. Uh, our lesson today is uh, the 18th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. And I hope you will uh, stay tuned and be part of the entire Bible study. By the way, the archives of the program are on faithandvalues.com. That's our platform. We encourage you, if you're watching us on Rumble or X or Getter or any of the other platforms and you're watching us in real time or listening to us on on WWCR, we encourage you to become a sustaining member of Faith and Values. Faithandvalues.com and that's where Doc and I hang out. It's our social media platform. It's where we place the archives of our programs there. It's where we have uh, Morning Manna every morning at 8 a.m. Eastern Time and we have some big, bold uh ambitious plans for 2024 if the Lord gives us the resources and the grace and the time and the people to make it happen. Uh, One of our biggest plans for 2024 is the establishment of Daniel 11 micro churches. What's a micro church? Well, another term for it is a home cell group. Why Daniel 11? Well, Daniel 11 is a prophetic look of the last days. And there are saints foretold in the vision that Daniel saw. He had a vision of the last days. It's it's a vision of the saints of God in the last days who do great exploits for the kingdom of God in the face of horrific opposition by Antichrist. That's why we named these home cell groups, Daniel 11 micro churches, is a micro, small, small church, a home cell group. And this is where the church started. In the early days, if you read the book of Acts, all the churches were in homes. There were no church buildings. They met in the homes of believers and they shared meals. They were called agape feast, love feast. And everybody got together and brought food yes. and shared with one another. And and then the leader of the assembly was not called pastor. He was called the president of the assembly. That's right. The ecclesia. The ecclesia was the Greek word for assembly. So the leader of the home cell group was called the president. 
president of the assembly, and he would give a sermon. And often he would read from the letters that were circulating right. from the apostles. And the last thing that they would do would be hold the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion. And at that point, all unbaptized people had to leave the, the house. Only baptized saints could participate in Holy Communion. Only baptized saints could even see it with their eyes. Right. I had a lady the other day that wrote me an email. I don't agree with you that you have to be baptized to receive communion. And I said... Yeah, has somebody argued with you about this? I, I, I don't know why people get hung up on the baptism question. Why not just get baptized? I, they probably are baptized, but they were just disagreeing with whether you had to be baptized to receive communion. And I told her exactly what uh, uh, you just said to the audience here, in that they made it a priority. It was a uh, it was something that the early church said it must happen. You were not even not allowed to see a communion service unless you were confessing, baptized believer in Christ. And the reason was because they understood the sacred holiness of the Lord's Supper. Right. It wasn't something that they did every three months, and it was serving grape juice and crackers. Right, and then report to denominational headquarters that you check that off for the right. quarter. Now, they, they knew that they were having a sacred meal, and Jesus Christ himself was there, and he was present in the sacrament, the elements of the sacrament. I don't can't explain it. D does the bread and wine change into his body and blood? Not physically, but he is there. He's in it. He's present in it. And when you drink it, you are in his eyes drinking his blood. When you eat the bread, you are in his eyes eating his flesh. Right. If he sees it that way, that's good enough for me. Right. He said, this is my body. This is my blood. He didn't say, this represents my body. This represents my blood. He knows the definition of is. He said, this is my body. This is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. I don't understand why people have such trouble about Holy Communion. But Friday, every Friday, we have Holy Communion during uh, our morning manna Bible study. So we encourage you this Friday to join us and participate in Holy Communion. Uh, but our, our major goal in 2024... I'll, I'll just I'll tell you the three biggest goals that we have. It is to build faith and values bigger, more content. Number two, build a network of Daniel 11 micro churches in many homes. And number three, should I tell them? I'll just go ahead and tell you, folks. God willing, our plan is to launch. The Defending Faith and Values Legal Defense Team, where we will hire lawyers and we will defend the constitutional rights of Christians. Defending Faith and Values Legal Defense Team. That's our big plan for 2024. I hope you would get excited about what we're doing. We don't plan to get out of the fight. We're going to stay in the fight. We need you to be in the fight with us. Support this vital ministry. We'll
back with Morning Manna. Are you concerned about this economic storm and how your IRA and 401k will fare during these turbulent times? Top experts are predicting now is the time to be protecting your assets with physical gold and silver. Find out why Genesis Gold Group is the number one recommended company by your favorite preppers and homestead channels. Receive Genesis Gold Group's free definitive gold guide today or give them a call at 800-200-GOLD. Let's pray. Father, Father, our Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Father, we thank you for life. We thank you for being in your family, our sins forgiven, and eternal life promised to us by faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. We invite your wonderful Holy Spirit into this morning manna Bible study to teach us your word that we would see and know and understand Jesus Christ more clearly and more intimately and see the magnificence of his kingdom. In his name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. So uh, reading from Acts chapter uh, 18, beginning at verse 7, going through verse 16. And if you would open your Bibles, read along with me. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. And when Galileo was the deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul, and brought him to the judgment seat saying, This fellow persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was now about to open his mouth, Galileo said unto the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O ye Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. But if it be a question of words and names and of your law, look ye to it, for I will be no judge of such matters. And he drove them, the Jews, from the judgment seat. Okay, verse 7. He departed there and went into the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. So, um, where we left off in this study, uh, Paul uh, departed the synagogue in uh, Corinth after his confrontation with the unbelieving, rebellious Jews. Well, he didn't go far. He entered the house of a man named Justice, who conveniently lived next door to the synagogue. And most likely Justice was a Gentile proselyte who attended the synagogue. So Paul chose Justice's house as the place for his teaching and preaching. And, you know, it's, it's, it's like the Lord, you know, to get, have somebody in a synagogue 
who is receptive to the gospel, who happens to live next door to the synagogue. And um, so Paul made Justice's house his headquarters for teaching and preaching the gospel. And Justice's house became the, the first church in Corinth. So, you know, let's take note how throughout the Acts of the Apostles, that enthusiastic new believers offered their homes as the location of new churches. So the, the worldwide, global church of God, which has millions of local congregations, the worldwide church of God began in homes. Maybe it's time to return to home-based churches. Because that's where it started. So, you know, it's, there's no doubt that Paul's use of Justice's home uh, angered the Jews, insulted them, the ones who kicked him out of the synagogue. But we get to verse uh, 8. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his house. Right. With all, with all his house, many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. So for the rebellious Jews in the synagogue, it was insulting enough that Paul set up a Christian assembly in a house next to the synagogue, owned by somebody who was attending the synagogue, but leading the synagogue's ruler to Jesus Christ was a deal. Oh, it was a big deal. It was more than they could endure. So, um, Crispus was the chief ruler of the synagogue. He was he was the pastor of, of the synagogue. They didn't call him pastor, but that's what he was. He was the pastor of the synagogue. So he held a, the highest position of authority and influence among the Jewish community in Corinth. And he came to Christ. Not only did Crispus believe in Jesus Christ and was baptized, but his entire household. So once again, we see household salvation. Right. Where the gospel spreads throughout the entire house and everybody believes, everybody's baptized. So the salvation of Crispus spread like wildfire, which really terrified the Jews who were opposing the gospel. So not only not only did uh, Crispus and his household and other members of the synagogue come to Christ, but many Corinthians, and I, I interpret that as pagans, non-Jews, many pagan Corinthians believed in Jesus and were baptized. So what we're seeing in verse 8 is an example of the, the transformative power of the gospel to change the hearts and minds of men and women who previously opposed the gospel, opposed the name of Jesus, opposed his kingdom message. The gospel, the preaching of the gospel is like, it's like a, um, it's like a mighty river 
Yes. You can't hold back water. You can try. You can build dams. You can do all kinds of things. You can't stop a mighty river. You know, go, go to the uh, Mississippi River and try to stop it. You can slow it up. You can do things, but eventually that water is going to keep moving. And that's the gospel. And men have tried for 2,000 years to stop it, and they failed. But what we have here with the salvation of Crispus is a pivotal moment in the history of the gospel in the church. And the salvation of Crispus and his family and many others in Corinth <coughs> became the building blocks for the, <coughs> excuse me, became building blocks for the early Corinthian church that grew and prospered for centuries. And to this day, there are approximately 60,000 people living in Corinth with local churches throughout the city. So the church endures. Verse 9, the Lord said to Paul in a night vision, don't be afraid, but speak and don't be silent. Now, chapter 18 does not give us a lot of details about the Jewish opposition to Apostle Paul. We're going to read about it in just a moment. But the opposition must have been intense. Remember what we said the other day, that in his first epistle to the church in Corinth, Paul said, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And we don't know why he saw himself as weak, fearful, and trembling. I've thought about it, and my conclusion is, and it's only speculation, is that Paul's memories of the stoning that he was given by the Antiochian Jews who pursued him to the city of Lystra, that those memories vexed him. So think about this. If, if you were surrounded by religious zealots who whipped up a mob into a furious frenzy against you and they pummeled you with rocks until they thought you were dead, would you have anxiety attacks later? Are you suggesting that he suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder? Really? Yes. Yes. Yes, I am. I think he had anxiety attacks. I really do, Doc. I, I think uh, because we don't see anything here in Corinth where he's where he was physically threatened, where he was beaten, stoned, imprisoned. So was happening in his mind. He, I think he was reliving the attack in Lystra. I think it was so violent, so traumatizing, that he was he had nightmares about it. Well, I mean, they, they were considered him dead. Yes. And he and we he may have been dead. 
That's right. And some traditions say he did die uh, and, and, you know, was raised to life. And so, right. um, but yeah, I mean, that would stress anyone out, Rick. You better believe it. So I think he had post-traumatic stress. I think he was had been traumatized. Uh, and then Satan was playing on that fear, constantly saying, Paul, I'm going to get you in this city. Uh, I'm going to whip up the Jews. They're going to stone you again. Do you remember how, how much it hurt, Paul? Yes. Do you remember the fear? Do you remember the pain? Do you remember how many weeks you were sore? Do you remember how long it took for the bruises to heal? I'm going to do it to you again, Paul. Any day, you better be ready. I think the, I think the devil was was messing with his mind. I believe Satan was mentally tormenting Paul with fear that the Corinthian Jews would also rile up a mob to stone him. Maybe he was struggling, um, wondering if he had the strength to endure another stoning. Maybe he was saying to God, I can't do this again. I, I can't do it. I, I just can't do this again. I, I, I don't have the strength to endure another stoning. Something was happening inside Paul's mind that required Jesus Christ to personally, directly intervene to stop Satan's mental attacks on Paul and to restore Paul's courage. And what did Jesus do? He spoke to Paul in a night vision. And the Lord's message to Paul was a message of reassurance. Don't be afraid, Paul. What does that tell us? Paul was afraid. If the Lord said to him, Paul, don't be afraid. Then that is the evidence that Paul was afraid. The other thing Jesus said was speak and hold not thy peace. In other words, speak boldly, Paul. Don't be silent. Again, to me, that's an indication that Paul was holding back. He wasn't really being himself. He wasn't fully preaching the gospel with all of his might and power. He was afraid of triggering the Jews into going into a frenzy and stoning him. He's probably thinking, oh, I know, I remember back in Lister, the one thing I said that set him off. I'm not going to say that again. But Jesus said to him, don't be silent, Paul. Speak. And, and this command to speak boldly without silence it, it emphasized the importance of proclaiming the gospel in the city of Corinth. And the Lord promised protection. Protection from harm. And that indicated that the Lord himself was watching over Paul in Corinth. So you and I, we are presently living in an age 
when evil and wickedness are ascending and growing stronger in many societies around the world. Yes. And the wicked people are becoming bolder about their wickedness. Significant portions of the public are embracing wickedness. Their boldness to proclaim and perform wicked deeds is intimidating many Christian leaders and pushing them into silence. Yes. They don't want the confrontation. They don't want the trouble. They're afraid of it. They they just want to live their lives in peace. And, uh, but sometimes, you know, uh, life requires confrontation. It requires standing up and speaking out. And, but unfortunately, we've been uh, trained, especially here in America, Christians, to be tolerant, to tolerate, uh, where now we tolerate sin. So, well, I think about Sodom. You know, and when when the angels were in the city, um, and they they went to Lot's house, the perverted men of Sodom went to Lot's house and beat on the door and said, "Bring us out those two men. We want to have sex with them." How how wicked and evil <laughs> was that city? Well, and like today, we think there's a political solution to it. And the scriptures say that uh, uh, that uh, uh, Lot sat in the city gates. He was on the city council of, of Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. So he probably ran on a platform of traditional Sodom and Gomorrah values. And, That's right. And everything. And make, so, make Sodom great again. Yes. And so, um, so he was involved in politics and, and everything. But what there, there was not a political solution for Sodom and Gomorrah. It was a spiritual solution. Right. And they didn't respond to that spiritual solution. But I wonder if they even heard a spiritual solution from Lot. I don't know. We don't know. Uh, yeah, we don't know if Lot stood up for, you know, for the values that his uncle Abraham uh, uh, tried to engender in him. The Bible says he was vexed by their wickedness, but that doesn't mean he confronted their wickedness. Right. Privately, he was troubled by it. The, the point I'm making about the people going to his house looking for the angels is... Lot was intimidated. The wickedness was so brazen in Sodom that the men were willing to rape angels. And Lot was afraid. And this is what I'm saying about today. Wickedness is growing. It's ascending in the world right now, particularly in America and the Western nations. People are saying and doing things that were unimaginable five years ago. And the more frightening is that a sizable portion of the public is embracing it. Just like right now with with me denouncing the Israelis for killing children in hospitals. When when did when did it become controversial to say I'm against baby killing? But right now in 2023 in America, it is controversial. 
Yeah. And when did it become uh, fashionable to defend a nation that hates Jesus? I know. Think about that. Israel hates Jesus Christ. They hate him. But yet, so many Christians here defend Israel and what it's doing in Gaza. I know. So, anyway. It's, it's, so, we, we, live, true news. <laughs> we, we, we live in an age when wickedness is becoming more brazen. And the point I'm making is when wicked, when wicked people become brazen and bold, often righteous people are intimidated and withdraw. <clears throat> what we're seeing here is that the Lord spoke to Paul directly and said, do not be afraid. I'm here with you. No harm will come to you. Verse 10, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many people in this city. Again, I go back to my premise that Paul had anxiety attacks that he was going to be stoned again. And Jesus said, Paul, I'm not going to allow anybody to harm you in this city. I'm here with you. Paul needed to hear these words. He needed to hear Jesus say, Son, I'm right here with you. I will not allow them to hurt you again. And he ended up staying there for another year and a half. That's right. And why? Why? For I have many people in this city. The Lord had many people. He had many Christians who had not even been saved. That's right. He confessed... His own faith. Jesus said, I have faith that these people are saved. Hallelujah. Oh, I like that. That's that's going to get down in my gizzard today. Well, I didn't mean to get to your gizzard, but that's no, good. I like, that. I like the thinking of that. That I'm believing for those that aren't even saved yet. That's right. That's right. Jesus Jesus was speaking what he possessed in his mind. Praise God. So he, he was saying to Paul, uh, Paul, uh, Paul, I've already, in my mind, they're already saved. But I need you to go out there and preach so that they can be saved. <laughs> Amen. Folks, you can, you can work through the theology. <laughs> yeah. I can. They can. Free will, sovereignty, that yeah. you're throwing out the window. Just say, just take it, you know, the way it is. <laughs> Jesus knew they were saved, and yet they had to make a decision to be saved. Right. They were the elect, and yet they had to choose to be elect. I, I don't know how to explain it. So, the personal assurance by Jesus Christ that he was with Paul was uh, comforting, encouraging. And the Lord assured Paul that no one would be able to harm him physically. Right. And, and that, that alleviated Paul's anxiety attacks. The declaration by Jesus, I have much people in this city, signifies his intention to call and save 
many souls in Corinth. Much people refers to those chosen by God for salvation. Yet, as we just said, though they were chosen, they had to make the choice. Jesus had already made his choice. But now they had to affirm his choice. That's where free will comes in. Many are called, but few are chosen. Yes. The term people uh, was broad. That means Jews and Gentiles. Yes. Uh, the phrase in the city emphasized a specific location where the people would be gathered for salvation. Right. He didn't say around the city, near the city. He said in this city. In other words, Paul got the message. You're going to stay here. This isn't going to be a base of operation as you travel out and you come back every month to get your clothes washed. No, your work is going to be in this city. So Paul heeded the Lord's command and resumed his ministry with zeal because he had the Lord's personal promise yes. of protection and presence and the promise of a harvest and a promise of a harvest and a promise for a harvest will take you a long way it gives you hope it gives you the it gives you a vision it gives you a goal to work toward the Lord said much people the yes. Lord said much I can just hear him you know walking down the streets of Corinth and just saying the Lord said much people much people in the city I'm going to stand on the Lord's promise to me Imagine, um, I'm trying to think of an analogy, uh, a father telling his uh, six-year-old son to, to go out into the city and say something for him. And uh, the little boy is uh, surrounded by other boys, six, seven, eight years old, and they taunt him and... Uh, hit him and try to frighten him and uh, the little boy is is terrified that they're going to beat him up and then the little boy has an 18 year old brother and his older brother 18 years old shows up and says to his little 6 year old brother dad sent me I'm going to stay here with you. I won't let any of these boys hurt you. And now the little boy is standing up straight saying to the other kids, I ain't scared of you. You don't bother me. Because he, he's got his big brother's protection. Right. That's what happened to Paul. His big brother, Jesus Christ, showed up and said, Paul, I'm right here with you. And Paul suddenly said, what, why am I, what, what am I afraid of? These Jews aren't going to scare me again. 
Then he went back to teaching and preaching. Verse 11, he lived there a year and six months. That's 18 months. Right. Teaching the word of God. And this is probably the longest period where he stayed in one place. Yes. Uh, because even in Antioch, he was only there for a year at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, this was the longest period. So he had an investment in Corinth. Uh, enough so that, you know, he visited, uh, you know, several times later on different uh, trips. But, we, of course, we have First and Second Corinthians where, so he had a, you know, he had a pastor emeritus, uh, you know, kind of role even after he left. Yes. Uh, so he was still giving instructions to the church in Corinth uh, even after this period. But he was there day by day for 18 months and loving the people, investing in the people, talking to the people, teaching. And it says teaching the word of God among them. Yes. And it says he, he dwelt there a year and six months. Uh, the use of the word dwelt implies a peaceful, continuous stay. It didn't say he survived there six months or tw- a year and six months. He dwelt there. He lived. He enjoyed life. Um, he got up in the morning and had his coffee and... Um, took a walk and you know he life he had a good life for 18 months but there was opposition and we're going to show it here in a moment but the lord kept it under control the enemies of the cross did not disappear but they were unable to reach him they could not lay a hand on paul and I'll give you another um, analogy, another imagine, imagination. Imagine living in a glass house that is surrounded by hungry, snarling wolves. The wolves walk around the house and they peer into the glass and they can see you as you go about your daily activities. But the barrier prevents them from devouring you. You see them. You're looking through the glass. You know that the wolves are out there. But you also know that they can't reach you. That's what I see for Paul in Corinth. He knew the wolves were there. But because of that vision, he knew that Jesus would not allow the Jews to physically harm him while he was in Corinth. So the Lord gave Paul an invisible protective shield that held back the Jews from attacking him. Right. And it was because establishing the church in Corinth was a high priority to the Lord. And he wanted Paul to have plenty of time to get that church started before leaving for the next city. Right. And as Doc said, his, his stay in Corinth was unusual, it was unusually long. Right. Which, again, indicates the significance of the work. So Paul was obedient to the vision. The Lord encouraged him. The Lord blessed the work. Uh, Paul was actively engaged in teaching the word and counseling the people. Uh, he was the pastor. 
Paul was the pastor for a year and a half. And he got that church up and running and he developed a leadership team that he could turn the church over to them and move on to the next city. And that's a pattern. Uh, verse 12, but when uh, Galileo was proconsul of um, Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat. So here we see now they're starting to, they're starting to get organized. Right. Now, this is significant, Rick, in that uh, it just shows the accuracy of the Bible here. Uh, where Luke was writing this, because we actually have historical records that show this transition uh, to uh, with uh, Galileo becoming the uh, the proconsul, if you will, of this whole region. What had happened is, up to this point in time, Achaia and Corinth had been under Roman military control. Okay, mm-hmm. it had been a military province, but. Uh, there, there, it's actually in historical records that there was a transfer from military control over to the Roman Senate, and this became a now a political province of Rome mm-hmm. rather than a military occupation state, if you will. Right. And so there was a change in government, if you will. There was, uh, it'd be in, in our terms, it's kind of hard for us here in America to think about going from a military occupation to a political government, uh, but it'd be a change in going from like, you know, uh, 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 Barack Obama to Donald Trump, let's say. It was a, a big change, a big uh, change for the whole region. Right. But the fact that Luke includes this information in here, my name, and you can go back into the historical records and actually uh, find this name and this transition taking place, it gives us insight. So there was a, a political change that took place there in Corinth and Achaia, and it appears that the Jews saw an opportunity at this particular time of change to influence the new proconsul. Yes. Against Paul and against this rising movement of so-called Christians in mm-hmm. Corinth and Achaia. And, and, and Galileo uh, moved into power somewhere between 52 to 55 AD. So because of the historical records that Doc has is, is mentioned, we, we, we can date when Paul was in Corinth. Right. So in verse 12, we now see why Jesus gave Paul the vision and the promise of protection. Because Jesus knew eventually the Jews were going to rise up against the church. And he and he knew that Paul was suffering from anxiety attacks, and and so he's like, "All right, I got I got to intervene here and um, reassure him." So when this time comes, he doesn't have a meltdown. So eventually, this came, and the Jews, with one accord, meaning they were totally united, all the factions of Jewry, they all came together. And they said, we got to stop this, Paul. And we're going to bring him before the judgment seat. So they they accused uh, Galileo. I mean, they accused Paul. They took him to Galileo and, and accused Paul of, of teaching um, contrary to the law. Okay, so 
Now, Leo's, uh, according to historical records, uh, Galileo was known for having a, a mild, gentle, easygoing disposition. In fact, uh, he, he's recorded as uh, Dulcis Galileo, which, meant, which means sweet Galileo. Yes. <laughs> so he, the people saw him as a kind, easygoing Roman governor. But I believe the Jews saw this as a that his his easygoing nature was their opportunity to work him, to um, convince him to see things their way. Now, the historical records also tell us that he was the brother of the Roman philosopher Seneca. Yeah, that's right. And uh, that, so obviously he came from a very well-to-do family, a very educated family, uh, a well-known family too, because Seneca influenced Roman philosophy for hundreds of years, uh, you know, with his writings. And so uh, it's interesting that at this particular time, this political change is taking place in Achaia and Corinth, that the Jews felt they had the opportunity at this time to influence Galileo, like you said, with his mild temper and everything, but I think they were in for a surprise. From yes, because uh, his 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 uh, temperament went went against them. So, verse thirteen, uh, the Jews said, "This man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law." Well, the only law that a Roman governor cares about is Roman law, right? But the, the Jews thought they were going to make this argument that the Roman governor was going to issue a decree based on Jewish law. So um, they they wanted they wanted the Galileo uh, to side with them uh, to you know have a civil government ruling on a ecclesiastical dispute, right? And it is in cases like this, this actually is in favor of governments being secular in the sense that a separation of church and state, because wherever there is a religious theocratic government, it, it gets warped and out of line with God. Right. Now, I know that may sound confusing to some people like well wouldn't you want the government to be no you don't want the government to be christian you want the governors to be christian right <laughs> see you don't want the government to be christian you want the governors to be christian because what would happen rick if the government was christian well who's going to define that yes uh, and do we trust the people who are interpreting the government as Christian? That's the trap we fall into here in America. Well, the we a Christian nation. But what makes us a Christian nation? I, I don't think we are. But, uh, but you know, the evangelical church, they would say, oh, yeah, we're a Christian nation. Well, well, Doc, if, if the Christian Zionists were in control... It would be illegal to criticize Israel. Good point. Yes, and that's interesting to bring that out because in this verse 13 here, even though the Jews had been run out of Rome, 
Judaism still was a, a recognized, yes. if intolerated, faith within the Roman Empire. This Christianity stuff wasn't. Right. And so it's interesting that the Jews were now using this. It said the state recognizes Judaism, but these guys over here, they, they go against the state. Right. So, in other words, um, in today's American mindset, the Jews were saying, hey, we are 501c3. <laughs> We've got a license from the Roman IRS to, to be a religious institution. This guy, Paul, he doesn't have anything. He has no papers at all. That's, that's the argument that they're making. I like that, Rick. Yeah. So the, the charge was an attempt to use Roman law to protect the Jews' Old Testament rituals and practices and interpretation of God's law. Yeah, this fellow persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. Yes. But Galileo didn't fall for it. And uh, he refused to be pulled in. So we get to verse 14. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, he, picture this. Paul's, he's in front of the governor, Galileo. The Jews are there accusing him. Paul's Lifting his hand to make a point, his mouth is starting. He has a prepared speech. He's got his defense. Yes. He's ready to make his defense. And the governor, the Roman governor, turns and says to the Jews, if indeed it were a matter of wrong or of a wicked crime, you Jews, it would be reasonable that I should bear with you. His interruption implied his disinterest in the Jewish argument. Right. He refused to hear the case. Um, he said, I'm willing to bear with the Jews if the matter pertains to a legitimate civil or criminal matter. Right. But I am not going to be pulled into a religious dispute. So, Galileo distinguished between secular legal matters and religious ecclesiastical matters. And it, it was typical Roman governance. It's, the Romans, even though they were pagan, they weren't necessarily evil in everything that they did. I mean, they did build an impressive empire. And obviously they weren't interested in promoting Christianity and Jesus Christ. But they also were not interested in promoting Judaism. Right. All they wanted to do was make money and conquer more countries. Right. That's all they wanted to do. And if you if you were to if you were in a room with Roman governors at a, at lunch, they they were sharing with each other the headaches, the problems that they each have dealing with the people in every area that they had conquered. Right. 
And notice how he responds to this whole matter. He doesn't hear both sides. Uh, he just so obviously he's familiar with the situation. He knows what what is going on. And notice that phrase, "O ye Jews." Uh, you know, first of all, he's not addressing Paul. Uh, but he's addressing the Jews. But the way that phrase is used is uh, almost in contempt. Yes. Okay? That like I've, dealt, I've dealt with this before. I, right. you know, and I know of other governors who have dealt with this issue. Oh, you Jews. Yes. He didn't even allow Paul to speak. Right. Paul didn't have to say anything. Nope. He had already won the case. If the judge argues in your defense, there's no point in you speaking. You have to, if the judge is on your side. <laughs> That's right. So verse 15. But if they are questions about words and names and your law, look to it yourselves. For I don't want to be a judge of these matters. He said, I, I got other things to do. I got skilled. <laughs> yes. I got all kinds of problems. I've got meetings I need to go to. I'm done with this hearing. This is over. This is between you guys. So Galileo dismissed the charges against Paul, which now created a legal precedent in Corinth in favor of Paul. The Jews knew at this point, well, this tactic isn't going to work. We can't go back a second time. Because now we're really going to anger Galileo. So, Galileo put a stop to the Jewish persecution of Paul in Corinth by declaring that he was not going to get involved in religious disputes. He said, it's your own law. It's not Roman law. It's your own law. You work it out. And if if the Jews would have physically attacked Paul, I think Galileo would have said, hey, that's a criminal assault against a citizen. A Roman citizen. A Roman citizen. I can't allow you to get away with it. So the Jews were in trouble in Corinth. They, they, they knew this governor. Yeah, he's easygoing, but we thought he was going to be a pushover. He's not a pushover. When it came when it came time to make a firm decision, Galileo was not a pushover. He switched from being easygoing to being very firm and resolute. And then verse sixteen says he drove them from the judgment seat. Wow. He drove them. He said he ordered yeah. the bail, he ordered the bailiff in the court. I want you to escort this these individuals out of the courtroom. Yes. He didn't say, he didn't just say the case is closed, everybody go home. Just as Doc said, he told the Roman bailiffs, get these people out of here. He was upset. So they, the Jews took an easygoing, likable, sweet Galileo and they kicked him off and he, he told the deputies, get him out of here. Oh, they're messing, they're messing up my day, and I don't like to feel messed up. I don't like this, this frustration and anger I've got right now. I, I, I want to get them out of here. Just go, go, get them out. 
I wanted to have a good day today. And he, oh, you and never deal with this stuff. <laughs> yeah. So praise God. Um, so that's what happened in Corinth. And Paul stayed a year and a half and preached and taught the word of God. And his enemies were unable to lay a hand on him. Yes. So we'll pick this back up tomorrow. Yeah, so uh, like I saw in the comment here, I was about to say the same thing. We, uh, the Bible just comes alive in these, uh, uh, in these morning manna sessions and have real people, real issues. Yes. Uh, and uh, for me, it just proves that the hearts of men never change. Right. The hearts of men have always been the same from the garden till today. And uh, you see it come alive here that the hearts of men do not change. You have jealousy, rivalry, uh, uh, people using the law to uh, entrap people. And so it's, you know, it, nothing really changes, does it? No. Just the really what, and names. It's really what Doc and I are trying to do in this Bible study is to make it come to life. To, to put everybody in um, in the setting, in the situation, that, that you could see it, feel it, taste it, smell it, hear it. Like, if all these things happened today, what would it look like? Right. If that trial happened in your city, what would it look like at the courthouse? Because the same things are being played out. And the, these Bible stories are, are meant to teach us how to stand for Christ in real circumstances. Just like they did. Just like they did. All right. It wasn't a story to them. It was life. Yes. <laughs> I mean, Paul didn't sit there and go, boy, this is going to make a great story for Sunday school classes. <laughs> 2,000 years from now. <laughs> <laughs> he was thinking. <laughs> So, all right. Thank you, everybody. God. See you later today. Yeah, so uh, thank you so much. Over 400 people joining us today from 19 countries, and uh, we appreciate that so very, very much. And we invite you also, be sure to tune in to True News later today at 12 noon Eastern Time, 12 to 2, on WWCR International Shortwave, truenews.com, Faith and Values, where you're at right now, uh, Getter, Rumble, a number of the social media outlets that you can catch us. Always, the archives of both Morning Manna and... True News are available on the Faith and Values platform, so you can watch at your convenience anytime or listen anytime as well. So, okay. uh, any final words before we sign off for today, Rick? No, I'm going to go comb my hair. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, God bless everyone. We invite you to join us again on the Thursday edition of Morning Manna. All right. Goodbye. See you. Well, my hair looked like that because I drove here so fast. I wasn't in a convertible, but I I rushed in here. At this time, WWCR ceases operation on this frequency. We invite you to tune your shortwave receiver with us to 9.350 megahertz. That's 9.350 megahertz. 9.350 megahertz. We'll begin operation on that frequency in a few moments.
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.